It's show 137 of the RIM Pro Report. Today, Tim and Apollo Oberst of Ohio Mobile Shredding and the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. I was looking at their brand new website today, a, a very cool site, by the way, and noticed again a number of great stories about their clients or O'Neill partners as they describe them. This includes clients like National Records Management, Hanson Records Management, Southwest Data Protection, DeWitt Records, and a whole lot more. These stories and case studies are worth checking out just for the great learning they offer. So, you can check them out yourself at O'Neillsoft.com and I encourage you to do that. I think it's only right to inform you that driving while under the influence of the RIM Pro Report can only be beneficial to your success. So, carry on. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Hustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Well, thank you for joining us here on the RIM Pro Report. I know some of you actually drive and listen to these shows on a regular basis. So if you're driving right now, like I said, this can only be beneficial to you. If you've missed the last few weeks, we've had some amazing shows. Be sure to check those out. Jim Booth of Brightstone Consulting was on last week. Craig Bush of Bush Systems was the week before. And two powerful episodes with Richard Reese uh, were the two shows previous to that. So if you haven't heard any of those shows, be sure to check them out at rimproreport.com. On today's show, you'll get a chance to meet Tim and Paulo Oberst. Tim and Paulo are long, long time shred industry veterans and have a great story to tell about the birth of their business and the growth of their business and some of the things they've learned along the way. And I just really wanted to have them on the show. As best I can tell, it's been about 25 years they've been in the business. So they're veterans. They've been in the game a long time. So I'm looking forward to my conversation with them today. But before we get them on the line, let's catch up on the latest industry news. Acquisitions continue to happen. Diversified Information Technologies of Scranton, Pennsylvania was purchased by UK-based EDM Group and will now become EDM America, which will operate independently as a wholly owned subsidiary serving clients in the Americas. This is EDM's fifth acquisition since 2011. EDM now has 1,400 staff. They scan about 450 million images per year and manage almost 10 million cubic feet of records in the storage so congratulations to all involved in that deal info store records management a member of the 220 group of companies just opened the doors of a brand new record center in Karlstadt, new jersey this new facility will serve the new york new jersey and pennsylvania markets with a full range of services including record storage data protection digital solutions and a full destruction services so congratulations to 220 as well on the new record center that's it for the big news and rim that i've seen this week if you've got news to share i'd love to hear from you i'm gonna get tim and paula on the phone right now hang tight while i do Tim and Paula Oberst own and operate Ohio Mobile Shredding based in Columbus, Ohio. While a well-known pair in the shredding world, I wanted to learn more about them and their story. Tim and Paula, welcome to the RIM Pro Report. 
Thank you, Tom. Our pleasure to be here. Hello, Tom. Hi. Welcome. It's so good to have you on the show. Well, let's start first with Ohio Mobile Shredding. Paula, why don't you tell me about your company and what it looks like today in terms of size, staff, equipment? Just give me a a bird's eye view of what the company looks like today. Well, we're NAAA certified. We provide both on-site and off-site destruction. Tim could probably fill you in better on the, the type of equipment that we have because that's not something that I, right. <laughs> I really keep track of. But go ahead, Tim, fill him in on that. Well, we, we occupy 10,000 square feet where we do our off-site shredding. Uh, we have five trucks. Two and a half of them are mobile. One's uh, an old-fashioned shredding truck that we use for specific jobs, but uh, half the time it's also used for off-site. We have 12 employees. Wow. And uh, we operate in the Columbus, Ohio market in about a 90-mile radius. Very cool. So let's go way back in time. Uh, let's go back to the days pre-1987, before Ohio Mobile Shredding came to be. Tell me a little bit about your story back then. What were you doing? Let's start with you, Tim. What, what were you doing back then? What, what kind of work were you involved in? What was sort of the intent or goal of your life at that point in time? Give me a little bit of your story before Ohio Mobile Shredding ever came to be. Well, at a very early age, I, I thought I had wanted to be an electrical engineer, so I had moved to Columbus, Ohio, being originally from Jackson, Michigan. I moved here in 1977 to attend a, uh electronics school. Yeah. And um, after uh, attending for three or four months, I had left uh, my sweetheart back home, Paula, and missed her very much, and was a little unhappy with the school. And in order for me to get out of an apartment lease I had signed... I either had to quit school or get married, and I decided to do both. So I went back home to Michigan, married Paula in the blizzard of 78, and uh, transferred to Ohio State University. Uh, At the time, computers were coming onto the scene, and that seemed like a a promising career. So I switched majors and started studying computer sciences. At the same time, uh, we started a family, Hmm. and realizing that going to school full-time was not going to put food on the table, I had to kind of change gears and start working full-time, and my studies came second nature to wanting to provide for my family, so I started going to school more or less part-time. Hmm. Um, there were times where I was uh, working third shift. I worked in a grocery store, night stocking. I would go to school in the morning, and then there was times where I was going to school during the day and went to school at night. So. For about four or five years, while I was raising a family, working full-time, putting myself through college, Paula was a stay-at-home mom. Uh, A priority in our lives was to have our kids raised by one of their own parents. Yeah. And she helped with uh, the finances by uh, babysitting. She also made crafts. And then uh, her and a friend of hers uh, decided they were going to make some teddy bears. So they got in the business of making teddy bears. They actually formed a small company. Really? And, and what was unique about these, and this was kind of before the concept of Build-A-Bear, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with, Yeah. that they would uh, custom-make these things. Um, I even got a, uh, a paint job done for my automobile at the time by her making some Mako bears for the Mako company. And um, she made some that were, you know, looked like fishermen and some that uh, had school uh, colors, uh, cheerleader-type things. And uh, evidently, Ohio State University uh, caught wind of it and became very interested and wanted to order a bunch of these things. Well, 
her and her friend were actually making these in the living room of our house, and uh, we didn't have the ways or means to build a factory for the demand. So by this time, my youngest uh, daughter had uh, entered kindergarten, so my wife started a part-time job out of the home working at a bridal shop in the evening. And after about a couple nights' work, she came home one night and said, you know, I think I can do this. And she said she was going to open up her own bridal shop. So she actually was the first entrepreneur in our, in our family and, and started that business on January of 1987 uh, because of the fact that uh, there weren't a lot of funds to fund a startup. Her and her partner actually sewed and made their beginning inventory of wedding gowns wow. and uh, rented a small shop of 500 square feet. And they were very good at what they did. And, and obviously, um, when you work retail and sell bridal gowns, customer service is, is kind of the king. And, yeah. and and I was inspired by her adventure and, and, and was able to be involved in the business with my uh, studies in, in school. I, I had some accounting background in, in finances, so I became her accountant. I did her taxes and payroll. And Anytime she'd have to go do a show or something, I uh, was able to get involved and help transport um, some of her gowns and stuff for the, the trade shows. By that time, I had started the shredding business. Let's stop there because I, I need to ask Paula <laughs> something because, man, there's a whole lot of story that you told, but Paula's sitting quietly in the background. Um, <laughs> he's a great storyteller. So, Isn't he? <laughs> yeah. So, Paula, what what was you know you're you're building this business you're you got to build a bear business and I, I realized I just stole somebody else's name so the trademark <laughs> infringement lawyers are going to be all over us but so you, you're doing this this bear this teddy bear thing and then you're moving into bridal gowns what what were you thinking at that time in terms of running your own business was this just just a way to put food on the table or was there some deep passion in there to do something on your own what what was driving the business side of that i would say it was more deep passion um because in the beginning my partner and i only paid ourselves 25 dollars a week wow. <laughs> so we weren't putting much food on the table but what it did pay for was a very part-time babysitter um we specifically set our hours uh to open at 12:30 in the afternoon because both of our kids were in kindergarten by that time and then tim who had already started the shredding company would pick the kids up around 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So we didn't need a babysitter very long at that time, but the $25 paid for that. And I think it was just, I've always been a very creative person, so it was just a means to um, be creative. And uh, the bridal business, after working there, you know, a very short time, like Tim said, I thought, you know, I could do this. I yeah. mean, and, and so I just really, blind faith went, right into it and never looked back very so, cool yeah. very cool well well that the, the shredding business has come up a couple of times but before we get into the shredding business tim what was it that actually made you it sounded like you said you you saw what paula was doing and you thought it'd be cool to do your own thing and you know working for whoever you were working for didn't give you that opportunity but where did you get the shredding idea from? Where did that come from? I mean, it's got to, you know, you don't just decide you're going into the shredding business because in 87, there's not a whole lot of shredding companies around. No, there wasn't. Um, but I happened to be uh, back home visiting my parents one summer 
And there was an AP article in the newspaper highlighting uh, a gentleman named, uh, I'm going to forget his name here. John, John Walsh. John Walsh, uh, St. Louis State of Destruction. Oh, okay. And they did a small article on him, and right away it just kind of clicked down a light bulb in my head, thinking that, wow, this is new, this is interesting. And being in a capital city that's uh, full of insurance companies, medical facilities, obviously state government, I I could see that there was already a built-in clientele that could use this service. And so uh, with a phone call to John, he, he uh, invited me out to see what he was doing. At the time, he was uh, had a small cross-cut shredder that he actually had uh, strapped to a two-wheel dolly that he would actually wheel into offices and plug into the wall and, and shred people's paper that way. It was out of a 12-foot cube van. Wow. I thought, well, it's a great idea, but I think you need to make it a little bit bigger or have a bigger truck or a faster shredder. So I, I kind of did some research to find out who was making shredders and at that time. And, and really, there was only one company that was uh, making shredders that were, wasn't a foreign company, and that was uh, Allegheny Paper Shredders over Belmont, Pennsylvania. And so I called over there and talked to their salesperson, and John Bartell was his name. Hmm. And he had just set his wife up with a mobile shredding truck and thought it was a coincidence that I had called and said, you know, We'd be more than happy to do this for you. So I went out and bought the truck, drove it over to Allegheny, and they put on the generator, and they put on a five-horsepower strip shredder that uh, did about 900 pounds an hour. (laughs) Wow. And I was in business. Very cool. So you're in business. What did you actually do to get your first customer? Because it sounds like you didn't have a customer. You you had an idea. So you have a truck and you got a shredder in the back end of this truck. How did you get your first client? What what did you do to get this whole thing started? Well, to tell you the truth, the first thing I had to do was to get some financing to uh, be able to put this truck together. And I thought because this was kind of a, a, a new idea that Everyone would see that, uh, oh, yeah, this, that's a great idea. You're going to have no problem. Uh, we'll write you a check today. But right. uh, the banks weren't like that. They were more concerned about something that wasn't proven before. There was no track record. There was no industry. So they really had nothing to go on. And being conservative as bankers are, they would reject me one after another. And so I kept going to banks, and they kept saying, do some more market research, get some more feedback. So I came up with an idea, and uh, what I did was I took a bunch of 1040s IRS tax forms, and I cut them up into strips, put them in a little baggie, stapled them to a a paper or a letter that I sent out to uh, 200 large employers in Columbus, explaining my new venture, saying that, you know, I'm a little embarrassed at what I made last year. This is my tax return. It's all shredded up. But with your help and support, I hope to um, do better. And so uh, out of those 200... Letters I sent out, I got 23 back, and I guess according to the marketing gurus, that's more than 10% response rate, which is kind of fantastic. And so with that new data, I went back to the very first bank a year later and showed the loan officer what I had come up with, and she says, well, how much do you need? And I'll write you the check and uh, make sure you come back here when you're ready for your next truck. So she had seen that I hadn't given up on the idea because I – stuck with it for a whole year 
and she saw the passion and just knew that I would be successful at what I was wanting to do. Wow. I can remember sitting on our deck on Memorial Weekend doing these letters and handwriting <laughs> the, the envelopes and, uh, you know, very uh, excited about it. Yeah. And so I had some responses that said they were interested, so naturally those were the first people I went to to uh, sell my services. And uh, uh, from there it was because of the fact that I was driving around, and which was basically a moving billboard sign, and the fact that no one had ever seen a mobile shredder, he always attracted a crowd no matter where you went. Yeah. So I did a lot of sales off the bumper of my truck while I was actually out there in the field performing the services, and that's kind of how I got going. And obviously, uh, be, the the local news stations picked up on this new idea, and I was featured on all three of the local news stations, so I got a little free publicity out of that. And of course, once you get out there and people notice you, then that kind of attracts competitors. But I was a little bit naive at the time, thinking that you know this was very hard work. You got to remember, this was before there was companies out there making shredding trucks. Right. right. So I actually stood in the back of a truck and hand fed everything and realized the, the labor that was involved in working in 90 degree heat and 20 below zero in the winter time. I thought, well, who would be foolish enough to want to do this? You know. <laughs> On top of that, he used to carry around like a five pound bag phone with him. <laughs> yeah, the cell phones back then uh, weren't very portable, but uh, I was able to uh, have a phone that actually plugged into your cigarette lighter and. I had an AC adapter so that when I was in the back of the truck strutting, I could plug it into an AC outlet. So I was able to answer any phone call that came in, and even though it was still a one-man show in the beginning. Wow, that is so cool. That is, that's such a cool startup story. But I, I can only imagine, as you said, um, early struggles and frustrations take place as you build this business. You mentioned a competitor comes into town. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about you know, the impact of a competitor showing up and how that affected your business. And uh, g- give me a sense of some of that early struggle that you faced. Well, I, um, when I first started the business and was doing the shredding, I uh, would take my paper to a local recycler. And this company had been around Columbus for quite some time. And the more they saw me every day unloading the paper, the more they got the idea that I was onto something. And the owner of the recycling company had a couple of sons that were in college, and in the summertime they'd work in the, the plant. And they would see me come in, and uh, I could tell they were a little envious as to what I was doing and the success I was having. Hmm. And they made no bones about it and said that they were going to be my first competitor and they would get into the business. Little did I know that they had a little bit more insight into the paper markets at the time. Yeah. And towards the end of 94 to beginning of 1995, Two large paper mills had opened up in the United States, and we all know that these places consume thousands of tons of paper. And so all of a sudden, there was a huge demand for paper to feed these new mills that had opened. Consequently, paper prices jumped 50, 60, 70 percent in one month's time. And so when this paper recycler decided to go into the business, they went into the business at the time when paper prices went through the roof and were able to go out and uh, steal customers by offering the service for free. As a recycler, they were used to paying for the paper. So now right. that the fact that they could just get it for free, that uh, was a mentality that uh, only recyclers thought at the time. So um, needless to say, one of the other things I was a little naive about was having all my 
chips in, in one customer. Uh, one of my biggest customers provided 33% of my revenue. Well, that was the first one they went after. And mm-hmm. I was actually out in Las Vegas at a uh, buying show with Paula. Um, she was out there um, looking at the, the new bridal fashions that were coming out in the fall. And got a phone call from my customer saying, you know, somebody's in here offering to do this for free. What the heck's going on? So, in a sense, I lost a little credibility because this customer thought I had been overcharging or could understand why somebody could come in and offer the services for free. So, for the next year, I had to spend most of my time going to uh, current customers and educating them on recycling and commodities and supply and demand and explaining to them the business model of the shredding industry and how paper prices can affect that. And so um, I was able to hang on to the rest of the customers because I was a little bit more proactive. But at the same time, um, because I had a competitor and lost a large chunk of business, I actually ran a deficit for a couple years. Needless to say, Paula's business was still in its infancy, and um, it just made me more determined to fight the fight. Hmm. I even had to actually um, pay bills and payroll by using credit cards. And in one year's time, I had accumulated over $100,000 in debt Ouch. on 10 different credit cards. Now, if that isn't motivation <laughs> to get you out there selling yeah. and growing your business, I don't know what is, but it it certainly was the motivation factor. And um, at the time, Paula's business was still growing, and she was able to hire on a manager to kind of help run that business. And she decided to come work for me. She saw that I needed to go out and get more business to to compete against his competitors. So we actually built an office onto our home, and she was my first sales and marketing person. And it was her work that actually sprung us back into the game. And within a year's time, we had paid off that $100,000 debt, and we knew how to compete, and we knew a little bit more about not forgetting your current customers. Yeah. You know, when you're out there shredding, you're working in the truck, you see your customers on a regular basis. You're able to stay in tune with them. But once I got away from doing that by hiring employees and concentrate mostly on selling and running the business, you don't uh, remember the fact that you still have to stay in close contact with your um, current customers. Um, you know, there's a lot of attrition and, and people move and leave. And if you're not in tune with them and knowing what's going on, you can get a call the following day because it's a different person that took your contact's job saying, hey, we're going with somebody else. Yeah. So... That was a good lesson learned. Those were very hard years, though, because um, Tim and I would usually be in there in the evening shredding until 9, 10 o'clock at night. And and uh, I remember shredding on Christmas Day one year. <laughs> really? <laughs> because, yeah, we had to do it. You know, you just have to keep on going and do what you have to do. But it, it was not easy, I have to say. But we made it. So, Paula, tell me a little bit about you know, as as you stepped into the business, and uh, what what were some of the the things that you felt like you had to bring to it immediately? What were some of those things that you felt in order to free Tim up to do what he needed to do? What what were you bringing to the table at that point? Because you were coming from a highly creative zone, from you know building wedding dresses and and selling and you know working in a more creative role. Were you bringing that to the table when you joined? Yes, I do think I I did bring that to the table, plus structure, which 
you know, he was kind of working on the fly because he was doing so many different things from being in the truck to trying to get new business or answer the phone. So it was just, you know, bringing creativity and structure to the business. But it's funny because I used to answer the phone uh, with the name of my bridal shop, and people would laugh and say, you must work two jobs. <laughs> but uh, um, so, you know, it was just a matter of realizing that, you know, being professional was very important. So I made sure, you know, the men were in more structured uniforms, um, that type of thing. Hmm. So, she, Yeah, but she certainly brought the professionalism into the business. Uh you know, at first it was a novelty, and the fact that you were doing on-site shredding, people didn't have a lot of concerns at the time. Right. The fact that they could witness and the fact that they saw you and knew you, but as you get employees, they don't always act and look the way you do. So she brought that professionalism in the way we dress, our mannerisms, just policies and procedures that were always spoken but never written. Right. And we actually became a bona fide company, I would have to say. And I think that's probably one reason why Tim and I compliment each other is because we were very opposite in that fact. Right. I like to be very organized and structured where he operates a little bit more on the fly than I do and does very well doing that. So how did how did this this initial you you come over from the bridal shop, you bring this structure and order to the business. How did the running how did it affect your personal life? Did did you know shredding on Christmas Day? Did that have a detrimental effect on your marriage at the time, or or how did this all continue to work so well? Because we're twenty five years later and you're still kicking, so something's working right. <laughs> I I think I I was brain dead by that time. No, <laughs> I mean um, the one thing because the office was in our home, it, it was like you could not leave the business. Mm. You know, it was always here, always calling to me. So, you know, if you had 15 minutes, I'd be out here working on something, you know. And it just got to be old, and I felt like it was not good for the kids. So I told Tim, I said, I need to be at the plant because, A, I need to see the drivers face-to-face and have actual conversations with them. And I didn't like working out of the home, even though, you know, it's great sometimes, but for me it just was not working. Hmm. So we did some remodeling at the plant, added office space, that type of thing, and I moved over there, and I felt that it was a, a better decision overall for our family and for the business. One thing, I, Tom, I want to say yeah. early on when I started the business and, and, and knew that this was going to be successful was that uh, my priorities in life have always been uh, my family. Yeah. And being a business owner allows you the opportunity to dictate how hard you want to work, how long you want to work. And growing up, I had seen uh, many, many fathers who were absent fathers because they had to work so many long hours. And a lot of my friends didn't have the kind of family life that I grew up with. And so once I started getting employees, that allowed me to work a little less and to spend more time with my family. And again, even when Paula had her business, when she was at work, I was at home. And when I was at work, she was at home. So we've always uh, made that a number one priority in our lives is to have that family time. And yes, our, our kids saw us at times where we had to work long hours, but at the same time, they were in school and they were active doing their things. And we kind of coincided at a time where, 
you know, when your kids get to be teenagers, they don't want to be around their parents anyways anymore. So that's when we work longer hours. Right. But then uh, when they're at driving age and they're coming home from school, I was able to come home and be home from school to make sure that uh, they were doing their homework and not getting into trouble. Right. I have to say, Tim was always very active in Boy Scouts with our son, and a cute little story is the Scouts went on a jamboree trip, and <laughs> Tim was constantly at pay phones, calling in the business, and this was before I was very involved with it, getting messages, you know, people would call and leave messages for service. I mean, really, in those days, we operated a lot that way. I mean, they just would call and order service, and then we would call them back, and... and uh, that's the only way we could do it. But he, he was always very involved with the kids. Both of us were and, and active in our church. And well, when we would take vacations, we would actually write the schedule, and we'd phone it in the next morning to the employees that were back home running running the, the jobs. And uh, Paula would take her Rolodex with her. <laughs> so, you know, we, we still would Nothing do like business. like traveling with your Rolodex. <laughs> wow. I know some of these terms and things sound very old-fashioned, but you got to remember we've been doing this a long time. Yeah, no, that's that's what's so cool. So the family, the business is still a family business. Uh, I know at Nade at the conference in Nashville, uh, you know, a month ago, you you were on a panel about family business. Uh, tell me, tell me about how you've gone about bringing your next generation into the business. Is is there a way of thinking you've done, and and maybe not in a detailed way, but just maybe a a, a sort of a big picture how are you bringing them in because i know your son's actively involved in the business now he is i i have two kids uh, my daughter's a second grade school teacher and uh my son taylor actually uh came to the business back in 2003 he was nine years old when i started the business and never had an inclination to want to father follow in his father's footsteps he went out to college, got his own degree in, in IT, and uh, went to go work for a Fortune 100 company here in Columbus. And uh, after about three years, he realized that uh, working for a large company, that he was just basically a number. He loved what he did. His colleagues loved him. But he didn't feel appreciated. And um, again, when working for a large company, you're, you're basically a number. Yeah. But he had seen for several years how uh, I treat my employees and how a small business operates, and he said, that's the type of business I want to come work for. So he said, I'd like to come work for you. And I said, well, you need to go speak to your mom, because <laughs> at the time, I was a little reluctant, because uh, you hear the horror stories of, of family businesses and in the next generation. Not that I didn't trust my son, but I didn't want to be the one to make this decision on my own, so that if anything did get, go wrong, all the finger pointing would come back at me. Right, right. So he he's now a part of the business, and uh, that uh, obviously is something that's helping build your business in, in, in even more positive ways, it sounds like. It is, and it's not to say that uh, we had some struggles in the beginning. I, I think when he first came in, you know, he thought that uh, everything would be easy because he would be learning from the guy that started the business, and that I would have more patience with him and, and would, you know, cut him some slack, but... Um, I treat him the same way I treat all my employees and held them accountable. And there was an actual time where, you know, we had a big disagreement and he up and quit on me one day. You know, again, it wasn't because of the difference of opinions. It was just that he probably thought that I would treat him a little bit differently being my son. But, you know, I was a businessman and then I, I had to treat him the same way I would my other employees. 
And I think he learned his lesson because after about three months not trying to find a job, he came back, he apologized. He told me that uh, he was really interested in, in learning, wanting to learn more and wanting to start from scratch. And so I gave him a second chance, and he did start from scratch. He hmm. got a pay cut, but uh, he did a 180-degree turnaround. And at one time where I thought I would be selling the business, now I'm confident that he will take it over someday. Very cool. So looking back uh, on on your life and in this business, uh, there is often things that lead to success. But if, if I'd ask each of you just one, what's the one thing? I'm going to start with you, Paula. What's the one single most important reason for your success? What would it be from your perspective? Right away comes to mind hard work. But, oh. uh, you know, trying to be more visionary than that, just having that goal and the desire to I've always said we just want to provide a good service at a fair price you know I don't think we've ever had big dollar signs in our eyes or or anything like that we we're just both very hard working ethical people and and we just in we enjoy hard work right. so. hmm. and what about you Tim well, to me, it's a little bit simpler. It's, it goes back to the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. Uh, obviously, customers is, is, is a no-brainer. Everyone's going to treat their customers well. But it also goes to your employees. Um, as important as the customers are, you treat the employees the same way. And the same thing with family members. Um, yeah, we are all related to each other, and, and um, at the same time, we work together. So you, you treat your family members the same way you're treating your employees and your customers. And if you do that day in and day out, and remember that, you know, they're the ones that got you where you are at, they are the most important things that uh, make this business work. And you practice that on a daily basis, it just becomes routine to the point where it's very enjoyable to get up every morning and go to work. Yeah, very cool. So, Tim, I know both you and Paula have been stalwart supporters and contributors to NAID over the years. Uh, Tim, you've served as director, treasurer, president, numerous committees. Paula, I know you've been highly involved as well. Give me an idea quickly because um, we're, we're over our normal time for the show, but I, I think this is really important. What has your investment in NAID given you in terms of return on that investment? Maybe, Tim, you can answer this question. Well, I don't think you can really put a, a number value on it, but I can honestly say that uh, without NAID, um, I might not have made it because, you know, you learn so much from the other operators and owners in our industry on a, on a yearly basis when you meet at the conference. And just the fact that NAID does so much for our industry. You know, back when I started, you know, we didn't even have truck manufacturers. We, had, we didn't have councils. We didn't have bins. We didn't have contracts. We didn't have certification. Right. So you basically had to sell yourself on your own laurels. And what Nade did was uh, bring in the professionalism, and it brought in the education, and it also advanced the industry, especially in this day and age of identity theft and, and just uh, because of technology that's allowed for more instances of uh, breaches of confidentiality. And um, by being involved with Nade, I felt like I was kind of giving back to an industry that, that helped propel me at a time where I had just got my first competitor. Nade had just started. Uh, I remember going to the very second conference. I hmm. think there was only 47 members at the time. 
and you know you could all fit in one room and there was maybe three or four vendors right. and i would have never thought that back when i started this business that i would have friends on all continents of the world and friends everywhere that uh, do what i do and uh, want to advance the industry and the 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 things that we've done it made i think has been very important for a lot of people and not just our industry, as you know, that uh, we've kind of crossed over into the e-recyclers and in the record storage industry. Yeah. So it's been very dynamic and it's been very rewarding. And I don't regret any minute I've spent with Nade. And it's something that um, I would be lost without just because the importance that I put on it. Very cool. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I, I love asking this question, and I'm going to ask it both of you as we complete the call today. If if you could go back to 1987, and I realize, Paula, you joined a little bit later, but if you could go back to 1987 with all the value of all the knowledge you now both have today, what might you do differently looking back on it, realizing that you can't go back, but if you could, what might you have done differently? Well, truth be known, uh, there's not a whole lot I would have done differently. I, I know I hear a lot from other business owners. Is you'll hear them and say, there's got to be an easier way to make money or make a living. Yes, shredding is hard work. Um, I think all jobs is hard work, but if you have a passion for it and you're good at it, it, it doesn't seem as hard as it did back then. Hmm. Frankly, um, if I was to do it all over again, I probably would have spent more time in the sales department, in the sales you know, it, it, when you're the only one in the market, like I was when I started, you don't think that there's going to be competitors, right. at least in in multitudes. And because I had priorities of, of, of having a balanced life and spending more time with my family, I didn't work long hours to try to grow the business to be some big monstrous company. That wasn't my idea of, 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 of running a business. You know, I wanted a nice company that was comfortable in size, one that would allow me the time with my family. But now that um, there are many people out there that do what we do and there is a lot of competition and just the market itself is changing in dynamics and the way people buy our services, I probably would have spent more time doing that and maybe hired more salespeople. Um, again, you, you always think it's about getting the job done right. and not so much about getting the getting the customer and retaining that customer, which I think is more important. Yeah. Well, that, that's a great point. Paula, do you have any anything to add to that? If, if With all you now know, uh, what else might you have done once you joined the business? You know, that's, I'm not a person to look back with regret on anything. I just feel like that's the flow of things, and I'm happy with the result. But... Um, I agree with Tim, maybe more focus on sales, but that wouldn't necessarily have made a difference anyway because customers change and, you know, situations change. But uh, we're both very conservative growers. You know, we only want to take on uh, what is a right fit for our family. And uh, I think we've both always been very comfortable with where we were at at the time, other than when we had those couple of difficult years that were very difficult to get through. Well, I have to say how completely impressed I am with your story. You have um, you have served not just your clients and customers in your marketplace well, but you've served the industry well. And 
I, I've had the, the opportunity to watch, and maybe not up close, but from a distance, and I, I know how much you've given to the industry. And so uh, on behalf of the industry, thank you for your leadership and your years of experience and what you've given away. But I think more importantly, I, I, I think it's really cool to, to sort of recognize and honor a great uh, entrepreneurial story and um, and what you've done. So congratulations. It's been great hearing it. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. Well, what a great story and uh, what a great couple. Some great lessons, too, in terms of what they've learned along the way. Uh, I hope the uh, the slight issues with the sound were okay, but uh, hope you caught all of the great information. 25 years is a serious accomplishment for them. That's a very cool stuff. I, I, I know as we prepared for the call in some of the early email and interaction back and forth, uh, Tim, Tim mentioned the fact that you know people had heard his story, but I, I think what's really cool in doing these kind of interviews is, is to actually learn more about what's actually happening uh, behind the scenes, some of the things that you might never have heard, but uh, great reminders. So uh, I really want to thank them for joining us today. And thanks to you as well for joining us. I appreciate the fact you keep coming back to the show. And with 137 shows under our belt today, it matters that you keep coming. It's the reason we keep doing what we're doing. Finally, I want to remind you that this show is sponsored by our good friends over there at O'Neill Software. O'Neill has this really cool service called Six Appeal, as in the number six. Six cool benefits for startups that include unlimited users, unlimited web users, unlimited classroom training and technical support, Unlimited networking and no upfront service software costs. That's some pretty solid value for you. So why not check it out yourself at O'Neillsoft.com. Hey, thanks for dropping by. Have yourself a great week. We are out of here. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.